I would come this morning, because of what we do, going out and talking to people about Jesus, would, he, would I come in and talk about that? So a few years ago, uh, this lady named Merlan Wilson won, uh, she had one of the winning tickets in the me- mega lottery in New Jersey, $656 million, and they had three winning tickets, and Merlan called in to say she had one of the winning tickets. Can you, I know, your eyes are like, what? That's a lot of money. After taxes, if you, if you just take the lump sum, it would have been 100, she would have gotten $105 million. Can you imagine that? Woo! But there was a catch. There's a catch. So she calls in to say, I've got the winning ticket. But she worked at a McDonald's, and there were 14 people who had gone in together and given $5 a piece. And they were all excited, too, because they're thinking, we've all just won millions of dollars as well. So they're just, they're so excited. It's like, oh, my goodness. And they start doing the maths. And $105 million is about 80 million pounds. So they're getting over 5 million pounds a person. They're thinking, this is unbelievable. We're all going to get 5 million pounds. But then Merlan says, well, actually, so I took your money, and I went down, and I bought tickets for all of us, you know, one ticket a person. But then I had an extra 5 you know, $5, and I bought my own ticket as well, and that's the ticket that won. Do you think these guys were very happy with Merland, thinking they're all going to be millionaires? Now, think about it for a minute. She, she could either have 80 million pounds, or she would have to live on a paltry 5 million pounds. I mean, really, that's, you, you can't live on that, right? That's, that's, that's just not enough. But is that really actually surprising to anyone here? Because at the end of the day, uh, we know this uh, truth, the people who win the lottery, within two years, most of them are bankrupt. Right? Because the money doesn't satisfy. Right? Don't we know that? I mean, in this world, the world tells you there's a lot of things that you need to pursue there's things that are going to make you happy. They're going to fill up this hole inside of you, right? This is what the world says. Here's some slides. Uh, the world may say to you, you need a relationship. You need a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife. By the way, if you're alone in the world, then there's something wrong with you. You're never going to be happy if you're alone. You've got to have another person. That's what the world says, right? That's what the world is saying to our young people, our friends, and our family all the time. Or they say, maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a car. You need a cool car. You know, you drive around in Hertfordshire. You guys see these cars driving around. You're like, woo, if I just had a car like that, I would be cool. People would actually like me. and want to, You know, not my little Fiesta. I need something, you know, like, hey, I got my little Fiesta over here. I'm not, not very cool. But that's cool. Or maybe it's a house. You know, we desperately want a cooler, bigger at least in America, I don't know about here, but maybe bigger. We need a little more space. If we just had the right house, then we'd be done. We wouldn't want anything else. Maybe it's the right body. And no, no, that's not me. I know you're thinking, Michael, why are you putting your picture up? That's actually Ant. And um, so, you know, I kept his face so you couldn't tell, but that is Ant before he grew that beard. But, you know, anyway... But that's what the world says. You go to the, the department stores, right, and all the magazines, you don't see a bunch of flabby guys on the front of the magazines, do you? You don't see guys, you know, I have a six-pack as well, but I keep it in my cool box. It's in there, I promise, but I've just got it padded. 
you know, safety reasons. And, um, or the, maybe the world says, you just need to travel. If you could just get away from here and go somewhere beautiful, then you'd be happy. Then you would have everything you need, right? This is what the world tells us all the time. Or maybe it says this. To a lot of people, you just need friends, right? Maybe you feel lonely a lot, and, and the world is saying to you, you just need some cool friends that all they do is hang around in a coffee shop and never work, right? I'm not quite sure, except for Joey. He does some acting, and he's got some money. Everybody else is like, what do you do all the time? I drink a lot of coffee. You know, maybe you just need some friends, or maybe for, for some of us, it's just a lot of money. You know, we want to win the lottery, or maybe it's we got to get into the right school. You know, I work with a lot of young people, and their whole goal when they're 16, 17 is i got to get into the right school. If I get into the right school, I can get the right job, I can live in the right place, marry the right person, and my whole life is mapped out in front of me, right? That's what, that's what the world continually tells us, that we need those things. And by the way, if you're wondering, these are the things that people who don't know Jesus are pursuing all the time. Every day they wake up, one of those things, that's what they're looking to fill the void that was never designed to be filled by one of those things. Do you believe that? You know, by the way, as a believer, as a Christian, we're, we're susceptible to this as well, aren't we? A few years ago, by the way, if you, anybody ever go to Costco? You guys know Costco? I don't, I, you don't go to Costco because you walk in the door if you're, I don't know if you're, you know, for me, the first thing you see is these 65, 70-inch flat-screen TVs screaming at you saying, I must live on your wall. As soon as, right? Don't you? So a few years ago, uh, we were given some money, uh, some extra money, and I went to my wife and I said, please, Bethann, I want a TV. I want to fit in. I want to be cool. I got this big, fat, you know, TV that goes back and it'll, we'll save space. That's it. We'll save space in our house. It'll be so much better. And so we got this cabinet, this TV cabinet, and she said, you can buy whatever TV you want as long as it fits in that cabinet. I was like, so I'm measuring it. I'm like, I can probably stretch a 32-inch in there. And that's back in the day. You know, 32-inch was going to be huge. And I bought it. I was so excited. I got it home, and Wimbledon was playing. And I put it on, and, it, and I put it on in HD, and you could actually see the net, you know, and you could see the ball. It was amazing, and you're watching Wimbledon. And how long do you think that lasts before I went to a buddy's house, and they had like a 55-inch, and I'm like, what is wrong with me and my little teeny TV, right? Now you watch it, and you're like, that is the smallest TV I've ever seen in my life. What is wrong? We're susceptible to it as well. We think that's going to make it. That's going to make us happy, but it doesn't. Well, today, I just want to walk you guys through with me an, an account of Jesus interacting with a person who thought, this is what's going to make me happy. If I can just do this one thing, this will make me happy. And, uh, and what Jesus said to them, because I think it's a, a phenomenal model to us of how we can go about telling people about Jesus. So it was found in John 4. It's a it's a story you guys know really well. We call it the woman at the well. Uh, a really familiar story, and I've told it to, to teenagers for years, and I love it. You can, you can go there if you want. John chapter 4. Um, I love it. At the very beginning of it, this is what it says. 
Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus, it says, himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples. So he left Judea, and he departed for Galilee. He was in the south, and he was headed north. And then it says this in verse 4. It says he had to pass through Samaria. That's a very significant verse. I love it. He had to pass through Samaria. And I know you guys have been talking about walking in the Spirit, right? Go where the Lord leads you, where the Holy Spirit's leading you. Well, this is a perfect example of that. Jesus has been told, either by his Heavenly Father or the Spirit, you need to go through Samaria. Now, here's the thing. Jews didn't go through Samaria. You guys know this, right? They avoided it. They would go on the other side of the river up. Why? Well, here's why. They had a long, tumultuous, painful history with the Samaritans because people had come into their country and they had taken people away and they were told as Jews not to intermarry but to stay pure, to marry only other Jews. But the people in Samaria had decided that wasn't working and they were marrying the enemy. They were marrying what, we, what they would have considered the terrorist. And they were half-breeds, and, but they were still worshiping God, but they were doing it in their own way. So it, it's a little bit like how the Jews and the Palestinians don't trust each other, hate each other, shoot rockets at each other today, right? We were in Israel this summer. I was on sabbatical, and we were there. And not long before we went, a Palestinian snuck into the house, a Jewish family's house, and a 13-year-old girl was laying there asleep, and he killed her just because she was Jewish, because they hate each other. And, and everywhere we went in Israel, people, men and women, were walking around, if they were Jewish, with guns, huge rifles, because they do not trust each other. They hate each other. So for Jesus to look at his disciples and say, by the way, we're going to go to Galilee, but we're not going to take the usual route. The Lord has told me, my father has told me, we're going to go through Samaria. They would have said, what? We're going to go through where the terrorists live? We don't even want to look at them. We don't want to see them, and that's where you're telling us we're going to go. And Jesus says, yes, that's where we're going to go because that's where the Spirit is leading They had to go through Samaria. So they go into Samaria, and this is what it says. He came to a town called Sychar near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Now you need to understand, unlike today, the well was where you found life. There was no other water source. You didn't have a sink at home where you just turned on the water, right? You didn't have a store you could go down the road and buy a bottle of water. The only place in the whole of the village that you were going to get water, which, by the way, provided life, was at this well. If a town didn't have a well, they had no town because you didn't live, right? This is where you got your water to bathe, to clean, to drink, to cook, to live. So this well is the center of life, and this is where Jesus goes. And then it says this. It says, Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which was about noon. It was noon, and it was hot. Now, we've had some warm weather over the past few days, but this was hot. We were in Israel, 
uh, in June, and it's blazing. You don't want to be outside. You certainly don't want to be outside sitting by a well at noon in the middle of the sun. You're going to get burned. You're going to be sweating profusely. It's hot. But that's where Jesus is. And then this is what happens. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Now, what I love about this picture is that Jesus is sitting there, and this woman is showing up at noon. And the reason she's showing up at noon is because she doesn't want to see anybody, right? When you go to the well, you go early in the morning when it's cool, or you go later in the day when it's cool. You don't go at noon. You go at noon hoping that there'll be no one else at the well. So she's showing up thinking no one's going to be there. I don't have to talk to anyone because she's got a secret. Well, actually, it's not a secret to the people in the village, but it's a secret to anybody new that she doesn't want to have to talk about or deal with, but Jesus knows it. And there he is sitting at the well. So I can imagine she walks up and is like, oh. And then she notices his clothing. You know, have you ever been in London and you can tell who the Americans are? By the way, they dress. You guys do that? I still do it, and I'm embarrassed now. I'm like, I've been here 16 years. I'm like, oh, they're Americans. They're sitting on the underground, and they're talking as loud as they can. They assume everybody on the train wants to hear their conversation, right? (laughs) They're wearing their white socks, you know, and their khaki pants and their baseball caps, and, hey, how are you doing? I'm American. You're like, please, go away. You're embarrassing me. You know, right? So there they are at the well. And she walks up and she sees Jesus and she knows right away he's a Jew from the way he's dressed. She can see it. And she knows Jews hate us. They hate us. And she knows this. Culturally, a man would never, ever talk to a woman who wasn't his wife. Never. Matter of fact, that's still true today in a lot of Middle Eastern countries. If a woman goes into a place and began to talk to someone who's not her husband, she'd get arrested. She'd get thrown in jail. So she's walking up to this, and then Jesus, politically incorrect. I love that about Jesus. Don't you love that? He's never politically correct, ever, right? He, he doesn't care about being politically correct. He cares about people. So he says to her, give me a drink. She's shocked. She's like, are you kidding? So this is what she says. How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. The most unlikely scenario possible. How is it that you're even talking to me? How is it, as a woman, you're even speaking to me? We could be in big trouble. Somebody shows up right now. I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. What are you doing? And Jesus says to her, and and then it says in the scripture, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you only knew who it was that was talking to you. Don't you feel that way sometimes when you're with your friends? If they only knew what you knew, They would stop running after all these other things, and they would understand that what they've been looking for and need to run to this whole time is Jesus, right? Don't you feel that way when you're around people? It's like, if you only knew what I know, because I know Jesus, 
you'd stop running around trying to fix everything with all this other stuff. And Jesus looks at her, and that's what he says. If you only knew that what I have to offer you isn't just this water, it's living water, then you'd ask me for a drink. You'd be asking me. And so she responds. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the water is, the well is deep. Where are you possibly getting this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. And then Jesus said this to her. Listen. He said, everyone who drinks this water is going to get thirsty again. Have you ever noticed that? You come back from playing football, you're thirsty, you pour, you know, you just pound in a whole thing of water. It's amazing. It doesn't take that long. You're thirsty again, don't you? Right? It's amazing how you can have a meal. Have you ever done that? You have a whole meal, and you think, I, I don't ever need to eat again. I was at the men's barbecue yesterday, and the steak was so good. And yeah, woo, that's right. That's, I love that. Well, you can woo as much as you want. That's good. You know, and we're eating, and we're full. And I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to need to eat again. You ever feel that way? We do that. Americans do that every year at Thanksgiving. We think, never, never again do I need to eat. And amazingly, about three hours later, you're like, you know, I could have a Snickers. You know, we suddenly get hungry again. That's what Jesus is saying. By the way, you're going to get thirsty again. You're always, always, always going to get thirsty if this is the only water you ever drink. Right? But then he says this. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. Forever. The water I will give him will become in him the spring of water welling up to eternal life. So here's the picture, folks. What everybody you're around has is a thirst. They're thirsty. And they're trying all of those things to quench the thirst. But what Jesus is saying and what we're saying is they're going to get thirsty again, right? You buy your TV, you think that's good, and three months later you're like, not big enough, not cool enough. I got a brand new car, not good enough. Now it's got a scratch on it. I need another car. I need another girlfriend. I need another house. I need another job. I need more money. It's not enough. I won the lottery. Spent it all. Traveled the world. I'm still not happy. What's wrong with me? Still thirsty. And Jesus says, the water I am offering you is living water. And if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. We've got to get this picture in our brains. If we actually want and to be motivated to go out and tell people about Jesus, we need to understand this, that every single person we know is looking for Jesus. They just don't know it. Because they were all made by him. They were all made for him to know him. And that, the relationship with Jesus, to know him, he's the living water. What Jesus is talking about is himself. I'm the living water. You know me. You'll never thirst again. This is what you're looking for. And until we fully comprehend that, that he's the living water, and that all of our friends, our family, our neighbors who don't know Jesus, they're just thirsty 
right? And when we go to share Jesus with others, you know what we're doing? Would you like a drink of water? I want you to imagine they've just come back from a race, and they're absolutely thirsty as they can be. You know what I'm talking about? A few days ago, it was blazing hot. Did you get thirsty a lot? You're just dying for some cold water, best drink ever, right? And imagine they come up, and they're just thirsty, and you've got this living water. You know Jesus. When you share Jesus with somebody, you're just saying, here, I can tell you're thirsty. Let me tell you what will quench that thirst. It's Jesus. That's what they need. That's what they want. I promise you. That's what Jesus is telling this woman. So her response is this. I love it. Keeps going. Give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come to draw water here. But Jesus doesn't let her off so easily. I love it. He says this. He says, well, go call your husband and then come here. See, here's her big secret that Jesus knows. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And now the one you're living with isn't even in your husband. See, Jesus went straight to the heart of the issue with her. And that is, she's been thinking, if I can just find the right guy, I'll be happy. So she's gone through five husbands. And now she's just given up on even having a husband. She's just sticking with this guy she's not even married to anymore because she's thinking, well, what's, what's the point in getting married? We might as well just live together, right? Don't we see this everywhere we turn? People have given up on the institute of marriage because it just doesn't work. People aren't happy anyway. Might as well just live together. Well, that was her, and Jesus knew it. And he knew that she was looking for love in all the wrong places, Right? So he gets her to draw, he draws us out of her, and she says, you're right, you don't have a husband. And then they argue about, you know, this well, and we worship here, and you Jews worship there, and what's right. And then she just looks at him, she says, no, when the Messiah shows up that we've all been waiting for, he's going to tell us everything we need to know. And guess what Jesus does? Almost never does this, by the way. This is a very rare, special occasion where Jesus says to somebody, by the way, I'm the Messiah. It's me. The one you've been waiting for, the one that you're hoping is going to make everything right, everything good, that's, that's me. You're meeting him. You're talking to him right now. He's the one who offers the living water. And then do you know what happens? I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. She gets so excited about this that she runs back into this village where probably everybody knows her reputation, everybody knows her past and her history because these places wouldn't have been very big. And she says, come meet a man who's told me everything about me. He knows everything about me. Come meet this guy. I love this picture, by the way, of this person who Jesus interacts with that no one would have interacted with. They would have been shocked, who decides... This guy knows what he's talking about. I'm going to follow him. I, I, I want to be one of his disciples, and I'm going to go tell everybody. She runs into the village, and then you know what happens? The village comes out. And then it says, many more believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. 
And then she brings them out, and they meet Jesus, and they decide to follow Jesus too. It's powerful. Now, Jesus, by the way, this is mind-blowing to think about. He is going through Samaria, and the only account, the only thing that we know about his time going through Samaria is meeting this woman. We don't hear We don't have any other stories about it. No other accounts. It blows my mind to think that the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go through Samaria for this one person. Can you imagine in your own life if the Lord led you somewhere to go do something you thought, what, what am I doing? This is crazy. For one person? Somebody the other day I was talking to uh, said, oh, I know who was Bryce. Said he, he became a Christian from a Billy Graham crusade. Anybody gone to see Billy Graham before and hear him share in a crusade? Well, he has, and, and it's a 13-year-old decided to follow Jesus. Well, think about this. Somebody, a Sunday school teacher, led Billy Graham to the Lord. Do you think they had any idea when they were sharing Jesus with Billy Graham that one day millions upon millions upon millions of people would decide to follow Jesus because of them sharing Jesus with Billy? Do you think they thought that? I doubt it. But here's a thought. Somebody that you, that the Lord leads you to right now, today, tomorrow, next week, could be someone who goes on to lead thousands or millions of people to Christ because of your faithfulness to one. Not powerful to think about? It's amazing. Now, I love this picture, and, and, I, and I hope this is a good picture for Forest Town. And the picture is simply this. Jesus had to go to Samaria because the Spirit, his Father said, I want you to go this way. Think about that in your own life, in your own walk. Have you had times in your life where you're like, the Lord said, no, I want you to go do this. I want you to get to know this person. I want you to have this job. I want you to live in this neighborhood. I want you to go to this school. And along the way, because of that, God brings someone into your life who needs him. And then I love the picture that Jesus is sitting there. And by the way, Jesus is sitting at the well, and he is exhausted, it says. He's unbelievably tired. Have you ever felt that way in your life where you're thinking, I know I'm supposed to be telling people about Jesus, but I'm tired, and I'm busy, and I'm not even sure I know how to do this. And Jesus just said, give me a drink. That's how he started. Maybe the conversation that you have with your, per, your friend who needs Jesus simply starts with, hey, you want to go to the pub and have a drink and talk about life? Right? And then if Jesus is living inside of you, if you've got living water inside of you, you know what happens? It just starts to splash on people. When you're around them, when they watch you, and they see you, and they see something different in you, in your life, and they go, man, there's something about you. What is it? I want to know more. And God opens the door, and you start telling people, and you realize, you know what it is? They're just thirsty. They just need a drink of the living water. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for living water, and I've got some, and I can just give it to them. Is there somebody right now you're thinking, oh, I know a lot of people. 
I got a lot of friends. I got a coworker I'm going to go see tomorrow at work. And I know they're running around hard trying to fill that void. They need somebody to tell them about the living water. Is there somebody? For you teenagers who are here, I would imagine there are lots of days where you go to school and you think, I'm about the only Christian in this whole school. You ever feel that way? Maybe there's two or three of you there. I know what that feels like. My daughter, who's sitting back there with my wife, goes to a school, and there's not very many Christians in her school. And she feels it every time she goes up there. And she thinks, you know, how does, how does this even work? How do I even talk to people about my faith? And for a lot of teenagers, they don't, right? They keep it separate. It's like I got my church friends and my buddies I hang out with church, and then I got my school friends I hang out with, and boy, I don't want those two things crash into each other because that's awkward, right? I know what that's like. Plenty of kids like that. But what if, what if you said to one of them, hey, I'm going to this crazy, amazing thing called Soul Survivor in the summer. You want to come? It's crazy. There's like 5,000 kids there. We're going to have bands and skate parks, and it's going to be amazing. You should come with me. Because guess what they need? Guess what they're looking for? Living water. I promise you. That's what they're desperate for, is living water. You know, we visited here a couple times before, and what we like about Forest Town is you guys go for it. You know, there's nobody holding back. You know, sometimes at our church, you're like, man, just get your hands in the air and jump around and clap and go for it. You know, we're a little more subdued there, except for when I'm preaching. It's a little louder. But, you know, but you guys go for it. So here's the challenge. You ready? We had a challenge yesterday at the, the men's barbecue. Here's the challenge. Are you ready to go for this? Are you willing to go, Lord, today, tomorrow, wherever you want to go, you lead, I'll follow, whoever you want me to talk to, I'm sitting on an airplane, I'm on the underground tube, I'm on a bus, I'm hanging out at the pub, I'm playing football with my mates, whoever you want me to talk to, I'm willing to do it. And you talk about living water. You talk about Jesus. And here's what's cool. When you start doing that, it becomes normal. Right now, if you've never done that, it might feel like the most awkward, weird thing in the world to talk about living water. People will be like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. But you just begin to talk about Jesus and your faith and the life you have in him as a normal thing. Not a weird thing, but a normal thing. And guess what happens? People go, oh, okay, so you're not, you don't feel awkward about this at all. Nope. You're absolutely convinced of this. I'm absolutely convinced. And it becomes normal to them and okay to them too. You know, I was uh, training at Tuesday night. My son, MB, plays football. Not soccer, football. Yes, we say it correctly, football. People go, oh, you mean soccer? I'm like, no, I've lived here 16 years. We understand what it means, football and American football. We understand the difference, right? And I'm standing there with this dad named Dan, and we're hanging out, and he's a cool guy. And um, I said, yeah, I can't be there on Saturday um, because I'm, I'm speaking at a retreat or, or a barbecue with a bunch of men. And he's like, really, what are you talking about? 
And in that moment, I thought, well, I could either say, you know, I'm just talking about some stuff, you know, that's man stuff. Or I can say, I'm talking about Jesus. Let's see what Dan's reaction would be. It's kind of fun, actually, <laughs> see how people react. That's so why I said, I'm giving the one talk I got. I got one talk, Dan, and I give it over and over again, different versions. He's like, what's that? I said, the talk I got is go tell people about Jesus. And he kind of looked at me like, that's your one talk. <laughs> like, that's it. That's all I got. And he goes, well, you know, I'm not very religious. I was like, me neither. Yeah? And then, you know what happened? Amazing. He said, well, can I tell you about what happened at work yesterday? He's like, yeah. And then he went into this 30-minute story of this woman and how badly she treated him and how he decided to forgive her and love her back in the other direction. Do you think he would have ever told me that story had I not said, hey, I'm talking about Jesus tomorrow? No. No chance. I'm just talking about Jesus. Normal life. And guess what? Dan was like, oh, so you don't feel weird about that, so I don't need to feel weird about it, so we can keep talking. I'm like, yeah, we just keep talking. Isn't that cool? That's it, folks. It doesn't have to be that complicated. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be able to tell somebody about dinosaurs or evolution or what about all the other stuff and the other religions. You don't have to know the answers to all those things. You just talk about Jesus, right? The living water. Because everybody you meet who doesn't know Jesus wants this, living water. That's what they want. I guarantee you that's what they're looking for. They're desperate for it. They're thirsty. Jesus says, you drink this, you will never, ever thirst again, ever. And so I ask you, if you and I have the living water, why aren't we giving it to everybody we know? Why? Because we're scared? Because maybe it's awkward? Is that good enough reason not to do it? I don't think so. You don't think so either, do you? Anyway, I, I'm running out of things to say, so I'm just going to stop talking. I love the fact that Jesus went where nobody else would have gone. And he talked to somebody that nobody else would have talked to. And he did it when he was tired. And then her life was changed forever. And then her village's life was changed forever. Don't you want that? That's what I want. Let me pray. Thank you, God, so much for today. Thank you for Forest Town Church that it exists, for Aunt and Helen and their ministry and their love and the team that you have built here and the passion that these folks have for you, for reaching the world, for Christ, for loving people unconditionally, for going where you lead. And I pray for all of us, Lord, all of us, that every single day we would say, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, whoever you want me to talk to, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. God, I pray you would give each person here a person in mind. 
someone that they're thinking, that's, that's my guy, that's my girl. I, I need to hang out with them. I need to be available. I just need to love them. And when the time's right, I can tell them about the living water. I can tell them about Jesus. God, I pray we don't leave here unchanged. But we're reminded that the reason we have life is because of you. You are the living water. And we can offer it to everybody. And I pray this in your name. Amen.